0: If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now.
1: Welcome to the London Review Bookshop.
2: Welcome everyone, obviously, to this very, very special event uh, uh, at the London Review Bookshop. Um, As always, huge thanks to everyone here for making uh, these events possible. Um, It's absolutely the shop where the events keep on giving. I'll tell you some uh, more that are coming up at the end of the evening. Um, But we're here, of course, for a very, very special reason, to celebrate, to mark, to remember the extraordinary life and work of Derek Jarman on the 20th anniversary day of his death back in 1994. um, As none of you, of course, need any reminding, um, there is a major season of events unfolding across the city. um, At the BFI Southbank, a complete retrospective of his work. um, At King's Cultural Institute, a major gallery show looking at his relationship to the river, to the River Thames and his lives along the river. um, And of course, other singular events uh, unfolding across the year. But uh, it's a very, very great pleasure tonight to be celebrating the facsimile uh, reissue of his first book um, and his only book uh, of poetry, A Finger in the Fish's Mouth, which was published uh, in the early 70s. We'll hear much more about it very shortly and then went underground in a profound way, not least, I think, because, and again, I'm not the best qualified to say, but because Derek himself took against it and managed to remove most of the copies from circulation. However, I think four copies survive (laughs) Um, two of which Keith has one of which Tony has one of which the British Library possess and it was that last copy that Sophie Meyer um, sitting to my right found uh, and alerted me to um, last year and said how extraordinary is this we, we have this collection of poetry by Derek that um, probably most of us here never knew about never read um, wouldn't it be fantastic to bring it back into the world um, and of course from that idea from that great idea um, we are now here and there are many people of course to thank on that journey from my dear to publication, not least um, Will Schutz and Jess Chandler of the Dalston-based, extraordinary new publisher, Test Centre, who have been reclaiming work on all possible fronts, as well as publishing new ones, uh, new editions, new volumes, new magazines, new tapes, new albums, um, for a couple of years now, but are particularly to be noted in this context, because they not only know what it is, but they also love poetry. And these are young people who enjoy poetry. I say this as a person rapidly approaching the other end of the age spectrum. Um, And it's a great pleasure to be speaking to Will and Jess uh, on a regular basis about poetry. Um, lines that don't meet the edge of the page and, and we are celebrating poetry tonight, Derek's poetry in a facsimile edition that they have produced uh, to an extraordinary uh, level of achievement with their wonderful designers, Matt I think one of them is here tonight uh, who have taken on the original book which was not in uh, the best of states and have uh, translated transformed it into its wonderful original of course, edition made new, so enormous thanks to Test Centre, thanks to Sophie of course um, for enabling that and for alerting us to uh, its existence in this sort of generational hand-on. But the book would not have been possible, of course, without the very, very kind, generous and gracious support of Keith Collins, who of course needs no introduction, uh, to any of you here um, who has uh, given its, uh, its blessing and seen it off into the world, and to Tony Peake, of course, uh, Derek's biographer. Uh, and we're also very pleased to announce, to announce tonight, in fact, that um, Tony's uh, out-of-print Um, biography the definitive biography of Derek Jarman is now back in digital print uh, as of today it was launched today um, with Little Brown so you can go to the Little Brown website or other websites uh, where digital books are sold uh, and you can find uh, Tony's complete uh, biography so do uh, pursue that I urge you to to track down that remarkable book so many many thanks to everyone here and of course to our very special guest in the middle of our uh, podium here this evening, Ali Smith, who needs absolutely no introduction to any of you, of course. Um, one of our very, very finest novelists, uh, short story writers, writers full stop, but crucially in this role tonight, I think one of our very, very most important advocates, um, activists around the world. Um, and uh, the celebration of, of writers often obscured or overlooked, um, and uh, her defence and advocacy of those writers has been of paramount importance over the last few years. So enormous pleasure to welcome Ali as well. Um, tonight, we're going to uh, go through uh, from 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 the front, if you like, and, and just take different perspectives on what this work means to us, um, how we think about it in, in light of Derek's own life and work in the larger culture. And then we're going to, as some of you already know, because you've been uh, uh, planted in the audience, we're going to um, <laughs> spread the good news um, and read the entire collection. We've got some poems that we're going to read from the front here, um, and then we're going to uh, take a microphone and a copy of the book out and. We're going to read, they're they're very short poems, but we'd like to read the whole collection in the second part. There are five unclaimed poems which we've left open for people who'd like to claim once you've got into the spirit of it. I hope that they will go. Um, And so in a sort of a lottery-calling fashion um, with no commercial gain, I will um, urge those to be taken up very shortly. Um, But now it gives me great pleasure to welcome Keith, who will open the evening for us. Thank you very much.
1: Hello, can everyone hear me? Okay. Um, I looked after Derek for the last seven years of his life and when I first moved in with him I went through his bookshelves to see what he'd read and in the middle, hidden between two books there's a tiny, thin, silver line and I pulled it out and said, Derek Jarman, a finger in the fish. what's this? And Derek said, oh, don't read that, it's pure old nonsense, put it away. And I, I obeyed, I didn't read it, I didn't touch it. And... Uh, that was that. Years and years later, down in Prospect Cottage, a poet arrived called Anna Moore, and she said, I've heard of this book called A Finger in the Fisher's Mouth. I believe you've got a copy. I'd like to see it. And she flicked through it and said, oh, this is wonderful, but I'd still not read it. And now, a few short months ago, at a meeting at King's College, Sophie Meyer, sitting two, three away from me, said, "Uh, there's this fantastic text of Derek's. We could think about republishing it. I'm Derek's executor and part of my job is to um, make sure his estate is ran in the way he would like and I went oh no, Derek thought that was pure nonsense. I still hadn't read it and um, kind of poo-pooed her. Um, very sorry. And um, went back and read it, took some advice from Tony, other people And we decided it was actually very good and did need to be republished and seen again. So, Sophie, I hope there's a large enough place in your heart to accept my apology. And I want (laughs) equally big to accept my gratitude for making this happen. There's two other people I'd like to thank, a few other people, actually, Will and Jess and everyone at Test Centre, for making this happen really quickly. And their attention to detail is only matched by how much fun it has been to work with them. It's been great. Endless emails, the tiniest little full stop and where the carriage return to go they've just been perfect with that and one other person who's been around for nearly 30 years of my life who has an astonishing meticulousness um lovely to get on with always makes time for me and his great friend Tony Peake Derek's biographer and history agent it's been tons of fun Tony and I thought I thought we weren't going to do anything else but there's, there's a whole load more of stuff to do Um, I'm not going to read from A Finger in the Fish's Mouth. I'm going to read two poems. One is from Blue, but not the film and not the published manuscript. It's a a little scrap that I found when I was looking around. And incidentally, there's a show of Derek's manuscript of Blue at Chelsea Space, down by Tate Britain. And there's some invites here, which make lovely bookmarks. I'll leave them out. It's a really wonderful show. It's not on for much longer, but it is truly fantastic to see the manuscript splayed out and... They're almost like butterflies that are pinned on the wall, the pages, so it's really, really special. And the other thing I'm going to read for you was originally a love letter that Derek sent, a kind of love letter Derek sent to me, um, just before I decided to move to London. And subsequently it was used in modern nature and in the film The Garden, so I'm sometimes wondering if perhaps it was recycled for me originally and other people had seen it beforehand. (laughs) I was charmed at the time, but increasing everything I think. Maybe it wasn't quite as original as I thought. Anyway, I'm going to start with blue and go on with the poem. And uh, thanks for all coming as well. Blue bottle buzzing, lazy days, the sky blue butterfly sways on the cornflower, lost in the warmth of the blue heat haze, singing the blues quiet and slowly. Blue of my heart, blue of my dreams, slow blue love of Delphinium days. And this is from perhaps my love letter. I want to share this emptiness with you, not fill the silence with false notes or put tracks through the void. I want to share this wilderness of failure. The others have built you a highway. Fast lanes in both directions. I offer you a journey without direction, uncertainty, and no sweet conclusion.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Keith. And now it's a great pleasure to welcome Tony Peake. Uh, who will also read uh, several poems but will also uh, give us a sense of where this book sits in, in uh, Derek's life and, 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 and work. Thank you.
3: Well, thank you, Gareth. And, um, and I'd like to add my thanks to Sophie, to Test Centre, to everybody who has been involved in, in, in making this happen. Um, this is the first poem. Now... I am sailing on this rocking chair, back, back, to where tomorrow washes the pavilions of today. Some of you will know, I'm sure, that from 1979 onwards, Derek lived in a flat in Phoenix House on the Charing Cross Road, above the Phoenix Theatre, in fact. He moved there from the last of his bankside studios on the Thames, where he'd lived for the decade or so before that, and this last studio at Butler's Wharf was destroyed by fire in 1979, and although Derek had actually moved into Phoenix House a few months before the fire occurred, he always liked to say that his new flat was so called because it had risen like a phoenix from the ashes of his old studio. He had an eye for arresting images, in other words, and a distinct fondness for myth and for the poetic. So it feels really fitting that a finger in the fish's mouth is now following the same pattern by rising from
4: this (laughs) to this.
3: In the early 70s, when Derek was living in an early studio at Bankside, he was friendly with a poet from the village of Bessescombe in Devon called Michael Pinney. I'm not sure how they met, although very possibly it's through the concrete poet Don Sylvester de Huardard, or DSH, all in lower case, of course, as he was known. DSH was a Benedictine monk from Gloucestershire who, when visiting London by train, liked to discard his habit in the loo and slip instead into black leathers and a cape. He was a good friend of Derek's. <laughs> and a colourful fixture at the Bankside Studios, which were a magnet to artists and bohemians of all hues. Here, Derek showed Michael Pinney his poetry, and out of this was born the idea that Pinney would publish a volume of it under the imprint of his Betiscombe Press, which had also published some volumes of Pinney's own poetry. Derek had been writing poetry for some time. Indeed, a number of the poems in this collection date back as far as 1964, when Derek was still a student. On leaving school, at the insistence of his father, who said it was impossible to earn a living as an artist, you had to have a fallback, he had dutifully done an academic degree at King's College, a BA General, as it was called in those days, in English, history, and the history of art. He studied Pierce Plowman, Chaucer, Dunn, Marlowe, Shakespeare, and, as significantly, as significantly for him, the Beats, Ginsburg, Ferenghetti, et al. By 1964, the date of many of these poems, he progressed to the Slade to study fine art. And 1964 is also crucially the year of his first affair, the year of his meeting his first Mr. Wright, a Canadian who was called neatly Ron Wright.
5: <laughs>
3: Derek met Ron in London and went travelling with him twice that year, first to Italy at Easter on a sort of artistic pilgrimage, Venice, Rome, etc., and then when Ron returned to Canada, to the States in the summer, so that he could spend more time with Ron and also go on another sort of pilgrimage. See for the first time fabled places like New York City and Holy of Holies, the City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, founded, of course, by Folanghetti. All of which is here in the poems. The young man setting out on his travels, artistic and personal. Which is why I think on the back cover... Derek chose to inscribe a favourite phrase of his, ''Through the billboard promised land.'' The phrase is from a surreal and picaresque adventure he first wrote at around this time. The adventure features a single superhighway, along which a cast of colourful characters, think leather-clad DSH, travel through a place called the billboard promised land towards a city called (laughs) Movie Town.'' (coughs) It's a place which, while modeled to an extent on the real world, America was obviously a billboard promised land to Derek, is primarily a place of the imagination, a place where Derek could trace and follow his own interests. In fact, he once said of the piece to DSH, this is, by the way, autobiographical, although deeply buried. So with the poems here, albeit obliquely at times, the poet's prime subject is his young self, and the poems are significant signposts to his development, both as a man and as an artist. And then there are the illustrations. These also tell us something about Derek. They're all postcards of his, a nod perhaps to his school, Canford, and his first artistic mentor, his art master there, Robin Nosco. The isolated art shack at the far end of the school grounds was where Derek felt happiest, most in his element and most fulfilled. And interestingly, the art shack contained a notable collection of postcards, postcards of sculptures, of buildings, of paintings, which Nosco kept as a reference facility and for inspiration. So when the time came to plan this collection, it's not in the least surprising that Derek should want to complement the poems with images from his own postcard collection the travels he made in 1964 to Italy, for instance, and America, or places he just wished to visit, like Egypt. Except for poem number 21, you will notice. If you look opposite poem 21, you will see that, oddly, there is no image. The reason being that the card Derek had chosen for this particular poem was, Michael Pinney once told me, too shocking for the printers, who therefore refused to print it. What was the image? (laughs) That of a priest, apparently, engaged in some sort of sexual activity with a nun. (laughs) Very Derek. It is all, in fact, very Derek. Nowadays, people tend to think of him primarily as a filmmaker, seldom as a poet, whereas, in fact, poetry runs like a golden thread through his entire life. There are poems in all his journals and many of his films. And everywhere... There are echoes, too, of the influence we see here of the Beats and of his English studies at King's, his trip to Italy and what he saw there that Easter. His film Caravaggio, for instance, has Italy stamped all over it. Mm -hmm. Or take The Tempest for Shakespeare, Edward II for Marlowe, or Jubilee for Elizabethan England generally and John Dee, and where we also encounter a certain Borgia Gintz, the media mogul, who first appears as a character in Guess What?, through the billboard Promised Land. Or if we look at the postcard of the Pyramids, which is opposite the final poem, this, as well as the postcard of a garden at Luxor that features elsewhere in the collection, Derek would also use as backdrops in his, the earliest of his Super 8 films, which he started making in and around the Bankside studio at more or less the same time as Finger was first published. And for those of you who are at all familiar with his notebooks and his way of working, you will know that he always liked to mix images with words, making a collage of them. And I'd, uh, I'd just add to what um, Gareth said and, and Keith about um, the Almost this exhibition and Pandemonium at King's um, and indeed at the BFI on the mezzanine as part of the retrospective. There are examples of the notebooks there And if you haven't seen them, I would urge you to go along and you'll see immediately what I mean about this mix of of words and image. And then if you think of the garden he made towards the end of his life, on the shingle around the fisherman's cottage where he lived in Dungeness, this garden is, in the way it uses stones and driftwood to settle for plants, very much a concrete poem. Mm -hmm. D.S.H. would have applauded. Mm -hmm. Or take a small thing like the title of this collection, Why is it grammatically incorrect? Why no apostrophe? No one knows. And it could, of course, have been corrected in this new edition. We did wonder. (laughs) Although it wouldn't then have been a facsimile edition. Or as true, perhaps, to Derek's spirit. I'm not sure how best to say this without giving the wrong impression. But once he had done something, rather than worry over whether it was right in every detail, he preferred to move on to the next thing. It was too much to say and do to ever waste time over small matters like an apostrophe. (laughs) Unless, of course, the lack of apostrophe means something that I'm missing, which is also possible, since there is a strong hermetic strain in Derek's work. Small things frequently have hidden meanings. So in the end, it all feeds into who and what Derek was. Just as he once said to DSH that Through the Billboard Promised Land was autobiographical, although deeply buried, so too with pretty much everything he did. When he came to make Blue, his final film, which is, of course, without image, just a screen of Eve Klein Blue and a soundtrack of his journal full of poetry, as he writes about going blind, he said to James Mackay, the film's producer, that he had at last come clean, so to speak. All his films, he said had been about himself, just not obviously so. With Blue, there was no pretense. Much the same, I think, could be said of this, his first and only poetry collection. In its original form, it was quietly published, to say the least. Pinney battled to get it into shops, and nowadays, as we've heard, there are just a handful of copies left. So it's really wonderful that we can celebrate its re-emergence with a launch like this. And I'd like to say a final thanks to everyone at the LRB Bookshop and to all of you too, most particularly, for coming tonight and helping send a finger in the fish's mouth, still without apostrophe, on its 21st century way.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Tony. And Tony will be back at the end to read uh, a very particular final poem. Um, it's a great pleasure, of course, uh, given that Tony has mentioned Blue, that um, uh, we have John Quentin, the voice of Blue, in the audience tonight. So very, very pleased indeed that John can be with us this evening. And also that James Mackay, the film's producer, is here. And James, just please remind me, when uh, Blue finishes as an installation, it's ongoing, isn't it? Required, but, uh, it'll, be there
1: uh, it's, it'll
2: be there forever. Where,
1: where is it?
3: where is it it's in
2: Tate
1: it's in the on the fourth floor of uh, Tate Modern um, just past the uh, Mondrian I
2: think just past the Mondrian it'll be there forever it's not often that I get a chance to say that um, I might never say it again um uh, so just past on Mondrian, and we will now come back from that wonderful exhibition, and uh, it's a great pleasure now to welcome Sophie Meyer. You've already heard how crucial she has been to this whole process of re-emergence. She's a fantastic poet, writer, and activist in her own right. Do please welcome Sophie Meyer. Thank you.
5: Um, and I also want to start by saying thank you, not least to... Keith, who promised not to be horrified and stunned when I literally went down on my knees to him in a boardroom in King's College and begged him uh, to allow this to come back into print and and for his support for this project and for Tony's support as well. And as as they both said, working with Test Centre has been absolute bliss. I only wish they could publish every book of poetry that i work on but we can talk about that afterwards (laughs) um and i also want to say thank you to gareth who's keeping very quiet about his part in this um gareth is the mover shaker fixer The node of of the network of so many of the artistic events that happen uh, not only in London but around the country and without his passion for this project and his passion particularly for the nexus of film and poetry this book would not be here and I just want to really embarrass him by saying how essential he was Um, and he's asked me to talk about the relationship between film and poetry uh, in British cinema about which I can say here it is And now you can all go. Um, I uh, found this book when I was writing an essay uh, called Cinema Cinema Mon Amour about the extremely tangential relationship between film and poetry uh, in the UK, um, which goes Margaret Tate... And then, as far as I, I knew, it stopped. And Tony Harrison working in the other direction. And for those of you who haven't discovered Margaret Tate, self-published poet, filmmaker, fantastic. Talk to Ali about her afterwards. Um, the, and there's a, there's a great resonance between Tate's and, and Jarman's work. Um, and I thought, I know, I'll, I'll read... I'll look at, you know, the the screenplay for Angelic Conversation. I'll look at the screenplay for War Requiem and see how Jarman was using poetic text by William Shakespeare and Benjamin Britten. And I just looked up Derek Jarman on the New British Library catalogue to see what books I could get. And up popped this book called A Finger in the Fish's Mouth. And I thought, I've never heard of this before. So I ordered it up and it arrived in a state somewhat worse than this, tied together with a ribbon with the cover falling off and I didn't realise how lucky I was that's the only copy in a deposit library in Britain Um, so this is also a story about libraries as my my relationship with Jarman's work has been from discovering his books in my local library which had some marvellously secret queer librarians who were stocking our suburban library with copies of Modern Nature and kicking against the pricks and bless them, um, to working on Edward II uh, in part of my first year in my degree at the University of Cambridge and ordering the script uh, for Edward II to be told I had to have permission because it was in the King's Censors' pornography room. <laughs> to which my supervisor said, marvellous! Um, so... <laughs> De- uh, Jar- Jarman's work has this fantastically tendentious relationship with, with institutions who are now celebrating him, perhaps not having supported him during his life as perhaps they should. And it's wonderful that all these exhibitions are happening all over London. But this feels like something slightly different that is emerging in this more tangential way, as poetry does from a small press in Devon, now from a small press. Uh, in Dawson and this is the secret margin where the relationship between film and poetry uh, takes place and one of the things that uh, and I don't, I don't know the biographical truth of this, but which was certainly in the air in 1960s and 70s San Francisco was the relationship between film and poetry. So, Ginsburg acted in a number of films, most famously Paul My Daisy, and a number of the other poets in San Francisco, such as Robert Duncan, were very involved in film and committed to it. And there's a wonderful book by Daniel Kane called We Saw the Light about these fascinating relationships between film and avant-garde poetry in America and when I asked Daniel so is there anything similar in Britain he said no (laughs) so really this is I can't stress the uniqueness of this enough and um, as part of the new queer cinema Jarman's films were part of this tiny incredibly precious group of filmmakers who cared about poetry so Isaac Julian who made the incendiary documentary looking for Langston about Langston Hughes so incendiary that Hughes' family banned him from using Hughes's poems on the soundtrack when it was shown uh, in, in the state and Sally Potter who made the film of Orlando and also yes uh, a film entirely written in iambic pentameter um, of course inspired I think by the example of Powell and Pressburger and their their work with the Canterbury Tales, so there's this tiny secret, joyous uh, thread that is at once in this desiring relationship with what America has and we don't, and at the same time saying, no highways, no fast lane, we're going to do this our own way. And there's definitely something about the meeting point of film and poetry that upsets people in this country. I don't know what it is, (laughs) Gareth might, (laughs) Ali might have some thoughts about it, but... We don't handle, I think, well in British culture, the meeting of text and image, the way that images undermine the authority of written language and that language can play with our ideas about the realism, the documentary quality um, of an image. Something about that we find profoundly disturbing and one of the most wonderful things that goes through Jarman's work, his films, his uh, incredible paintings with layered on tabloid hate where he was unpacking that through turning them into images and then the images again into words, is this determination to cause trouble by bringing together these two forms that we try and keep separate and I'm going to give an example of that by reading poem six, which has opposite it, and I think we have to talk about the images opposite the poems a postcard of Chief Sands Rock who toured with Buffalo Bill's Wild West when I first saw this, I thought, oh, it's just been sucked into this sort of terrible appropriation um, and commodification. But um, the date, uh, Fargo 64, is just after the occupation of Alcatraz by the American Indian movement. And I think you'll hear in the poem a sense of what's shifting in America, these new civil rights that are emerging and how people are starting to question old racist homophobic and sexist truths in Derek's own oblique way. So this is Fargo 64. In a rouged mobile, the begum of flowering chintzes wreathed for a crucifixion, marigolds and columbine asphodel and eglantine, all flowers non-seasonal, paved the true way with silver dollars and roundabouts. For Jesus is right. In the Midwest rodeo of the mount, mind, the Begum of flowering chintzes takes care of emergency exits and decorates her air-conditioned land with sweet eglantine, primrose, and columbine in green pastures. For Jesus is right. On bland Sunday, she has piously donated space for this machine to help the maimed minds of Fargo find rest peppermint nickel a time others only a dime for jesus is right let her be translated to the heavenly automat for good deeds may the skies be filled with flowers and the clouds below yards of fine cotton thank you
3: thank you very much indeed
2: So now do please welcome Ali Smith, who will take that advocacy forward into the larger culture. Why we remember Derek, why now and why for the future. Thank you, Ali. Okay.
6: Uh, I'm going to speak really briefly. Um, what Gareth really asked me to do is to say what I missed about German. And, um, and I thought about that and I thought, that actually I miss it, but we also have it. Because it's never gone away, and here it is again, you know, and it's never going to go away. We have it. I miss it. We have it. I miss miss the way that he understood that, you know, a Super 8 image uh, can be really stratified. A moment from 1977 can look ancient and medieval at once. You can watch Jordan doing a dance around a fire, and you can see an ancient Rome Roman image and a medieval death image in the same image. He understood that time is a stratified thing, and he 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 never ran away from time. He was always interested in time, and not just that. But when you know, in every everything he wrote, every word he he uses, if he's talking about colours, he'll go back to the pigment. You know, he goes back at all points to the source, and he does it very easily, very casually, very beautifully um, the other thing I, lo- I really love and I really miss in our, in our, in our, in our culture is, a, is the celebration of time and rot he, lo- you know, he loved that things rotted away he loved exactly that fact that you know, he'd just throw his, you know, he'd throw his book away, that these poems are kinds of throwaways they're throwaway moments that gorgeous line from the poem I want to share this emptiness with you, you know, that's exactly right, if we're not there then we're there we're more. We're almost more there if we throw away. And so there's, some, there's something in that energy of Jarman, that youthfulness, that that adult youthfulness in him you know, that was that was that fed into a political chutzpah which was also which I also miss, and which which we need, we desperately need. We need his dandyism, his ability to laugh, his, you know his kind of his kind of. It's, it looks like fatalism sometimes in German but it isn't, it's a kind of merriment it's a kind of joyousness, the thing of the word that we've been saying, there's a point at which he just steps back and kind of twinkles and it's as if Muriel Spark has just you know, picked up the whole universe and shown you, you know, it's, it's, it's just a poem you know? that's what he could do he understood the nature of art to be able to allow us that freed up merriment uh, it's a very calm sort of merriment um, I loved his comfort with contradiction Uh, his comfort with his own paradoxical nature in everything he makes, all his forms. I I miss and love the delicacy with which he made the things he made. Um, I love the fact that he would take a journey without direction. And to answer one of the things that Sophie Sophie brought up um, about the, the British unease with... Um, maybe text and image. It may simply be and ease With what? What? Uh, when when Derek uh, talked about scripts, he said scripts, written scripts, were the first form of censorship. Mm. You know, at which you know, at, this, at the, the time that something becomes a script, it's almost over. You know, it's finished. It's actually been stopped. It's been stopped dead in its tracks. So there's something in that freedom, that journey without direction in German, which. Uh, Which uh, which calls to all of us actually, in which which culture now pretends is not relevant to us, or wants us not to think about. Um, I I love that about him. I love that you know uh, he would say to those students. We said to him, "Oh no, we want you know we want to use film. We think film is the traditional form." He said, "Well, why? Why would you not use VHS? It's really easy." He you know he was a very uncomplicated mover with the times. Uh, I miss that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm simply going to read you six of these poems. Again, they're very short. So we go back to the source of Jarman's own youthfulness and his own throwaway nature in, in these poems. And the first one is, I'm going to read you, is number four, and it's called November. November. A glimpse of one's own exile, radiating across green lawns, passing geometric laughter. Someone has painted the oak yellow. Gorgeous. OK, number 16. Six pages, two. Turning over and over, six pages.
3: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both,
7: Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com results. Terms and conditions apply.
6: ...is barely skim over and over the earth, whirling empires and ladies-in-waiting round over and over with hardly a motion except for the wind... Down the grass verge to the highway Where one by one A man with a loony mask Collects them And tears them in half (laughs) Twenty, moon Moon two A new image Neither hallucinatory A new image nor brimstone Moon's new image A smiling friendly image Neither harvest, neither through a pane of glass, neither crescent, nor geometrical, nor egocentric. New image. To retire away into deep igloos through ice, come snow, come sleet. To be terribly sorry I was late, and confound the astronomer. Six pages, one. I dropped six pages of the Sunday newspaper at the edge of the field, and the wind blew away kings, princesses, whole countries, one presidential election and several eminent letter writers. (laughs) (laughs) Moon, 27, Moon. Moon, who are you up ahead, one before the man with the loony mask, tearing paper at the edge of the field, tearing the world at the edge of the superhighway, Moonstruck. The world crept by, the new moon silver bright, and I turned darkening the leaves, and the man spoke, moon is for lovers, moon shrouds, worlds, monstrosities, moon calf, moon men, man in the moon, moon is for ripe goddess, so Claire de la lune, bearing stone effigies, once in a blue moon, moon's purse, moon's moth, moony. Moon is Mr Massey's vision of the future, moon skates between elms, telegraph poles, and chimney pots in the mansions of the moon, the man with the loony mask, tearing the paper at the edge of the field, tearing the world at the edge of the superhighway, moonstruck. And finally, poem one. In the common silence of the world, the white poppies of my love are dancing.
2: Thank you very much indeed Ali and I'd just like to take up Sophie's uh, reminder if you like about Margaret Tate and and hearing Ali read that reminded me of when she was here uh, before uh, celebrating Margaret Tate's work that you can find her extraordinary poetry um, published by Carcanet and also by Lux who uh, will be shortly reissuing her complete works on DVD so do uh, look out for that Margaret Tate T-A-I-T not T-A-T-E so we now come to the uh, exploratory part of the evening, where we open out to uh, spontaneous readings in the spirit of collaboration, the family of creativity that Derek was so exemplary at making and nurturing. Um, I've got several people, of course, as i said already, um, have volunteered, I use that word advisedly, <laughs> um, to read some of the poems, but there, as I say, there are still five poems unclaimed and it would be lovely to read the whole collection they are very very short as you've as you've gathered um, i'd like to i'd like to start with um with stanley if i could um poem 14 um stanley at the back claire i think you'll find um a tall man um Where are you? poem 14 and you. if you could if, you, if each person just wouldn't mind just in their own words just describing the image on the other side of the page just so we have a sense of what we're looking at
5: I'll get the book, that'll be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone.
2: <laughs> I did, of course, ask... Why
5: we're all here tonight. Do you beg your pardon? to learn
2: these by heart. That's already unravelling. In
5: ten seconds.
8: I was concentrating on the microphone. There you go. OK. <laughs> so
2: do please, just, just in your own words, just, just well. briefly describe oh, the, the image, if you could. Uh,
8: Gareth, what page number? What number?
2: It's the poem number, not the page number. Sorry. But poem 14.
8: Thank you. Poem three. Now I am sailing on this rocking chair. To where tomorrow washes the pavilions of today along a still-straight, treeless road.
2: Thank you very much. Could you just, just tell us what the image is?
8: Mm. <laughs> rock climbers.
2: <laughs> rock rock climbers, thank you. So as you'll see already, Derek's playing with titling here. Poem three is on is number 14 and so on. Um, so could I now ask um, James Norton, please, to read his poem, which I think I'm right in saying is... Uh, Number five. Thank you.
9: (laughs) Poem number five is called Stampede, July 64. Lady in an ashcan dress, 70 in a day, past polka dot lovelies, corkscrew man, loves Millie from Florida in cork mythologies. Man, man, I can supply you socks and she can have embroideries. Oh, lady, in the Ashcan dress, pass these electric roundabouts and whirl it to tunes. And the image on the other side um, is a woman in a love heart. It says, your ideal love mate, and there's a bit of text here. Your ideal mate may be a slim, brunette, plain and easy on the eyes, no matter if the lady is a good sport and that everything she says and does is tempered with the saving grace of a sense of humor and fair play. Of course, she has the necessary feminine virtues of neatness, loyalty, intelligence, personality and appeal.
2: Thank you very much. Um, could I ask Will, Will Schutz, uh, co-publisher of Test Centre, to read number 18, please? Thank you. <coughs> uh,
8: death Comes Through Mirrors Death Comes Through Mirrors is a blind man with a violin collecting grudging offerings I ask you, is the hat full yet? And you reply, consider the fiery red cherubims in the blue sky or those empty cavernous spaces where the image scatters on the silver. No, his hat is empty. Here's a young man with violets in his eyes. He is blind and sings. Um, the image is um, a dance hall with uh, well-dressed gentlemen and, um, and ladies. Uh, <laughs> In old-fashioned attire and uh, grandfather clock in the background.
2: Thank you very much. I'm going to bring the bring it back to the desk just briefly. If I could ask Sophie to read poem twelve, please, and then we'll go to Deborah at the front, Claire, for poem fifteen. But Sophie, now with num- poem twelve. Thank you.
5: And um, I, the poem that Will just read has a fantastic reference to the work of Jean Cocteau in it. Death comes to you mirrors and um, I should have said that there is also this other European tradition of filmmaker poets uh, which consisted of Jean Cocteau and Pierre Paolo Pasolini so I don't know what's particularly queer about this as well, this um, fantastic relationship between images Uh, and text Mm -hmm. Um, and now we're going to travel from Cocteau's France to Italy uh, and Venice April 64 which has a delightful postcard of two lovers one in a very neo-realist white high high heels (laughs) looking at a crescent moon uh, over some water with a as Ali's pointed out huge bollard uh, immediately uh, erected (laughs) in front of her (laughs) Venice April 1964 Cosmati Plan Thanks to Michelin guidebooks Of this canaletto to the sea From our island ghetto And its paternal warehouses We could see the rain drifting in From the dead Adriatic A bridge particularly favoured by the sunset Even the Americans Were absent With the whole stage set for a perfect Holiday awash And the wind whispering She's sinking at last she's sinking. Hear the ghosts of doges with wet feet planning a secret counterattack with two saints and illustrations by Bellini, an envoy to Knut and to Leonardo at Milan for practical advice, watching the important preparation with Damask for this year's resurrection in a drowning city, dreaming of a Kodak summer and an important seduction by a young girl of a languid soldier with lightning behind the houses.
2: Thank you, and Deborah, please. Thank you very much.
8: The image is of New York World Fair, 1939, the Hall of Medicine and Public Health. And the poem's title is, freedom's a drug that's bought and sold. In Prince of Wales Drive, freedom, sir, freedom, sir. And he answered, "Marigolds for malice and freedom's a philosophical point. And she only said, 60-ish and quietly, freedom can give you freedom. I knew a title, gentleman. Are you a title, gentleman? And he said, how can I help you? Freedom, sir, freedom. And walked down Prince of Wales Drive. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Could we can now go to James Mackay, just here, um, with po- with poem seventeen? And James, the producer. Oh, have I? Sorry, I'm sorry,
6: James. Let's sorry.
2: Let's go to seventeen, if you don't mind. Thank you very much.
6: Uh, sure.
1: I'll just uh, have a quick look at this. Um, there's a Russian postcard of a lake. It's Greek.
5: There's,
3: there's a Russian postcard or oh, it might be Greek, it's Greek. It's got, no it looks like it's, it's Greek. Definitely Greek can you
1: hear me it's,
10: it's all Greek. Greek to us
3: it looks like it's a lake with some uh, sailing boats on it and some people promenading taken from the balcony of um, a, a villa or a hotel but the poem's called Mykonos now the fishing boats are back in the harbour the wind is again on the beaches
2: Thank you very very much, and I'd like to open it up to to one of the um, one of the unclaimed poems. Now we have five unclaimed poems. Would anyone like to, to to claim a poem? Because we have, it's so fun. We they're very very it's a lot of fun, and we have a gentleman here. Thank you. Could you please read poem ten?
8: so the, the, the postcard is of the first national bank building of Detroit, Michigan which is a sort of almost a, it's yeah, sort of a triangular shaped building by the look of it and, um, and the poem is called Manhattan, Lower East Side yeah. these fooly wastes teasing mortality deathical streets wailing the sirens now For Oedipal, Europe's distracted sons, leaving paternal warehouses, singing a new world song.
2: Thank you very much, indeed. I'd just like to go across the aisle now to Ben, if I could, just here, for poem 21. Thank you.
8: And and so if you may remember um, 21 was the poem uh, without a postcard and so I'm looking not at an image but um, at what could be what was an etching which has been scratched out um, which I guess could be a symbol for the censorship mm. and the poem is called Christmas 64 the three magi I passed through here today on their way to another Nazareth Amongst the freeways, well-kept, and the flags were all flying. And there were leaders in the foremost newspapers. And someone had donated a tree. And a national holiday was declared. Surbiton. Or was it Slough? (laughs) The doorways of the shit hotels were open, but someone had lost the baby.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much, Ben. And if you just pass it, just two two rows behind to Tom... For poem nineteen, thank you very much.
1: Uh, I'm looking at uh, a railway running through
3: a, Is that a viaduct or an aqueduct? Yeah, no, no, right. no. Is yeah. Aqueduct,
2: viaduct. It's a duct of some description.
9: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't. I can't really tell what it is, but it's um, it's a railway landscape. Oh, it's, oh well the the clue maybe in the title of the poem. Um Calgary, July 64. The mountains ring the edge of the world, and the city watches. The river flows from the mountains of the edge of the world through wild r- rose woods and circles the city, punctuating its superhighways with bridges.
2: Thank you very much indeed. Could we go back a little further back into the room to Jess Chandler, co-publisher with Will of Test Centre, for Poem 22, please, just a little bit further back. Thank you. just like to remind you, of course, there's still four poems unclaimed, and we're not leaving until they're read. <laughs> um, it's, it's as simple as that.
5: Um, the image here is of mountains. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what more I can say. Um, Mark Rothko's Dawn. By the time the dawn had shrunken, after the time of coupling and uncoupling, and the rapture among the sofas, by the time the night had shrunken with a small protest, and the skies had come stars in the universal orgasm, after the trees had wept, their leaves amongst the skyscrapers, lamenting the transience of billboards... After the phallus had fallen in the still sta- sad stasis and the milkman had broken the silence. By the time the nights had shrunken and the shadows were streaked with silver, in the holy miraculous interval, the sky reached forth vermilion fingers and quietly extinguished the light bulbs.
2: Thank you very much. We're going to come back to uh, Sophie now for the longest poem in the collection, number 28.
5: Um, the image is a pre Raphaelite painting of a woman sta- either standing by or reclining on a flowery bank. So think sort of Titania. Words written without any stopping. Mourn, mourn the long day, sing, sing, song the long night, now the day opens, philharmonic die-long song and there is another thing be remembered that the angel going down and going up degree by degrees whether they have wings and don't forgiven oneself one single mistake sing out ancient olive groves lemons in the sun lemon souls sons and daughters peripatetic over the green fields and yellow corn town torn town torn sacred slow melody time old aged ancient patina moving through the centuries sedate violins echo echoing echo sing of a god who has departed forever and ever the town continued streets Pavement avenues lamps, planes lamps, billboards, billboards, billboards. Rising, rising violins struggle to raise dear songs through buxitude's groves. Messian under the apple tree, thick, clotted, creamery, pink. Bursting a shower, fragile in the failing spring. The blind man's white cane. Architectonic power, stone, stone, statue, glass prop, Pinnacle, balustrade, arch upon arch, and through the courtyard, the untreadonable grass and red brick houses. Tiresias. The door closed. The pen casts a shadow and travels with itself onwards round the figure S of Hogarthian beauty, comma, of Hogarthian beauty, full stop.
10: Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> An epic (laughs) by Derek Sanders in this collection. Um, Could we go to Christina, who's about halfway back, for Poem 24, please? Thank you. I'd like the next one to go to a new reader, so do bear yourself in mind. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you.
6: Um, There's an image of the the valley slapped sands. Uh, It's a beautiful meadow with clouds. Poem 1, 1965 The days are numbered The worst come to the worst Be of good heart Cheer thyself My footprint fell vacant Frosty silver sparks My footprint fell Along our walk Endless galaxy The wind in the footsteps Echoing retreat Vacant Scarlet seed Dear land Through the rushes Winter snow rustles. Sun, no man's land.
2: Thank you very much. And if we could just go, literally, Claire, just to your, just behind you, the gentleman there who's going to read number two. Thank you.
8: Um, the image is it's basically a cobbled street um, with a building to one side and people sitting along the edge of the street. Um, it's um, the title is Patmos Delos. I left blue flowers by the folly of Dionysus, thinking of the lions of Apollo. The third knot of the worry beads foretold an early winter. Thank you. That's great. If you could just pass the uh,
2: microphone just uh, towards the shelves for Davina, for poem eleven, please. Thank you. Do we have three more takers before Davina reads? We have a gentleman here, thank you. Two more takers needed. Bear yourselves in mind. A lady at the front, thank you.
5: This section's been very quiet. Yes, this,
2: very quiet. (laughs) Thank you very much. We're sorted. Thank you.
0: Teacher. (laughs) The image I'm looking at says Santa Claus, California and a toy land, very boldly, with a huge blow-up Santa and date shop with an arrow pointing down to the street where there are many figures uh, standing in front of, sort of a, what I imagine might be a very colourful streetscape but is in, in this beautiful green and white. Poem for Coleridge, July 64. Sitting watching the fire, one's mind turns outwards, not to a mythical childhood... Nor a village idyll, nor to hope for any foreseeable future. But I suppose, like the wandering Jew, it passes tableau. These in orange and emerald, down through the billboard promised land, where the lights talk and offer consolation, as well as shine. But chiefly the first, not being primarily occupied with lighting the way and the city composed of promises... Stretches onwards into the night.
2: Tremendous, thank you very much. And if you could just pass the microphone and book to Peter just in front of you for poem 26, please. We're in the
4: final run. Um, The image is. I, I don't recognize it it's a, it's a some sort of fountain with a with a sphere in the middle of it and I, I can't quite read the I can only read Mussolini <laughs> Mono, Mussolini monolith Rome um, so I guess it's um, a piece of fascist architecture from from Mussolini's time and in Rome poem five the days are numbered our love framed and glazed reflects shadows diverts the mind erases harbored thoughts erases anchored days waiting and now the dandelion clock has stopped
2: thank you very much indeed Peter if you could just pass just back a couple of rows Claire to Stephen for Poem 29.
10: The image is titled A Garden in Luxor. Word Poem, Fragments, March 64. Sea minstrel, mistral howling through the gardenias in the avenue. Outside the pine trees and firs Sifting the dust You are the porter into forgotten landscapes a bend in the road, the bend in the rock Sighing he put, together the, he put the flower together Crushed by the horse's hooves Carefully together, stamen and sepal Petal and green stalk He had instructed the horsemen to pass The wall was crumbling, roses blown, sown, blown by the wind, the wind howling through the dwindling mountains. Here the courtyard is tiled and the tiles are blue from majolica and what would Cezanne have said of the blues and the lapping stacked stones thrown and hollowed by the wind?
2: Thank you, Stephen. If we could go to Lauren at the back for uh, number thirteen, please.
6: Okay. <coughs> um, the image looks like it's a a landscape of London with two figures in front and there's some writing at the bottom. And the poem's called Assisi. At Assisi, then there's a dive to commemorate Francis, who charmed the birds three stories high with a soprano singing, Ava Maria, vibrato in the basement, decor by a host of Italian primitives of cribs and popes, and a dame called Clara, who he never touched, whose place is the other side of the town.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Lauren. Could we now pass the book to John, one of the shop's very fine booksellers, if he's still available? Just before he reads that, I'd just like to read poem three, which is, Accompanied by an image of a, a seafront postcard, very resonant given the recent activities in this <laughs> country, <laughs> Rough Sea at Hove Lake. Hove Lake? Hoy, Hoy Lake? Hoy Lake. Hoy Lake. Yeah. but the right.
10: yeah. Hoy Lake. Yes.
2: Rough Sea at Hoy Lake. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should say, of course, for those of you who haven't seen the book yet, all these images have been washed in green. And that is um, very distinct. Cause that was in the original publication, of course. And you'll find a very... Um, passionate and enthusiastic response to that if you go online to the great sebald wordpress uh, literary blog where terry pitts in cedar rapids isle one of the internet's great readers has already celebrated this book with the first posting in response to it uh, that's sebald.wordpress from gypsy march 166 I had a dream through the mirror of the morning. I walk where the image scatters on the silver, laps and ebbs in pools monotonously. I had a dream in the dawn light, the clouds reflecting the fire of the billboard promised land, stalking the violet sky, floating the highways of delight to new storms, tears, 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 always floating above the houses down each street, caught momentarily between rows of poplars, a flying scarlet apotheosis, Ascending the skies, now two, or at this corner three, float by in the dawn. And now John with poem eight. Thank you. The image is a a large bishop wearing a robe with a small bishop poking his head through the robe.
5: Uh,
2: I can't make head or tail of it. The poem's the black, called... The
5: black, the black Version. Oh, thank you very much. Um, that might be Jesus. Why? <coughs> Sticking well, the I never... of the
3: Thank you very much for that.
7: Maybe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the poem's called The Devil Old Junk Man. The
2: Devil Old Junk Man Collecting tailor's dummies For practices
1: unspeakable Craven A and flippy fire One lonely old maiden Do not forsake me, O my darling Oh my
2: darling, the fruit box woman collecting fire in orange boxes. Thank you very much, John. And we're going to now go to the final three from our wonderful new contributors. The gentleman here, just just here, Claire. Just at the end of fiction.
5: <laughs> A good place to be. Only
6: place to be.
2: <laughs> and if, if you could read number seven, thank you very much.
9: Okay, um, the image is of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And the title is Writ on the Presidio SF. Old age with two white sticks, tapping her way to Tuesday afternoon, tapping her way with many pauses over the Golden Gate to her final destination, united with the firm green keep of the grass, lawns of eternal rest.
2: Thank you very much, and we'll come to the kind contributor at the front here for poem thirty-one, please.
0: Just Thank
10: our,
1: you.
10: Our okay.
5: This this could be Hyde Park. But it's got a why
8: it's very baroque kind of steps, and there's a statue. It looks like Peter Pan in the background. It's called a Victorian poem. White balloons in August fall, translucent under copper domes, down through the cool sea light, smoothing green glass in greener stones. Then in the lime tree counterpane, the patchwork of one summer ISIS. my love and I can sit alone and whisper our soli- soliloquies.
2: Thank you very much. And just to the final poem from here from the floor, just in the corner here. Uh, number nine, please. Thank you.
8: so the image is of reigning sovereigns and principal royal personages of the day there's lots of very fine ladies and gentlemen
5: (laughs) so the poem's called poem four to
8: Rembrandt the days are numbered amongst man's millinery, flippery tick clocks tight flaming Agossis, preserved in glass,
5: solemn mockery birds, no, sing song, dead pageant, dead moths, finical draperies, masquerading threadbare veneer, tick, tick, tock.
2: Thank you very, very much indeed, and thank you to everyone who read poems. Uh, this evening, before I ask Tony uh, to read the final poem in the collection, i just, of course, like to make a couple of announcements about upcoming related events. Um, some of you might have seen the Guardian article yesterday that there is a new film work which has been created, if you like, assembled from footage that Derek shot in 1984, I believe, in Mile End, uh, which will be premiering on the 22nd of March um, at the NFT as part of the season. This was in a gay club in, in Mile End called Barneys, I think. and um, this is footage that's never been seen by anyone except Ron Peck I think pretty much Um, Derek was working on one of his films and and gathering this material but it's never been uh, seen publicly before so it's the 22nd of March you'll find a very good piece by Philip Hoare in yesterday's Independent Philip delivered a a, a keynote as part of the uh, Chelsea uh, Valentine's Day event uh, last Friday which will soon be online um, in audio form Uh, so do uh, uh, listen out for that Jarman2014.org is the website covering all the events um, unfolding this year Um, Keith of course has mentioned the Chelsea show, do see that and do take a flyer um, from here there's a very particular screening of course as part of this whole retrospective programme which is at the BFI IMAX where blue will be shown on the 7th of April (laughs) which is quite an extraordinary idea but it's it's all official, it's going to happen at 7 o'clock on the 7th of April so if you want to see a very large amount of blue um, <laughs> then do go there uh and find your find your find your seat um there of course are many other events I like said at the beginning here at the london review bookshop and, and thanks um as previously to everyone to claire to david to gail to john to charlie megan terry and everyone at the lrb shop for making these events possible uh a week on friday at the 28th um there's a sense of direction a, a journey through pilgrimage with christian lawrence and gideon Lewis Krauss and Sheila Hetty. Of course, Derek did not lack a sense of direction, so there's a hand over there. Um, We then go into The Wolf's Mouth, which perhaps, again, is something Derek did a few times with financiers, Um, with Adam (laughs) Foulds and Andrew Motion on the 12th of March. On the 19th of March, we bring poetry back into the mix with a carcanet reunion. And on the 3rd of April, we walk the woods and the water with Nick Hunt and Artemis Cooper. So that's just in the next few weeks, and, of course, many more to follow through the year. If you go to the um, the completely new, relaunched LRB shop website, you'll find, uh, in relation to this event, um, exclusive pieces. We're very, very pleased indeed that Keith made two new sound pieces for this event, which are online at the website. And Sophie very kindly read some poems as well in the shop. Um, So do please find those online as well. Um, thank you of course all very much for coming this is absolutely an evening of celebration as I'm sure you will agree to remember and to mark this extraordinary life and work of Derek Jarman so I hope you'll join us after we finish now in raising a glass to Derek and and his extraordinary achievements in so many areas Um, but now it gives me great pleasure to ask Tony Peake to close with the final poem thank you so
3: the image for this one is is the one I showed you of the pyramids at Giza um, which is there as a backdrop in quite in some of the Super Eights. Um, the poem is called Poem Seven Farewell. We have dissected and proven our loss through the small hours. We have awaited new forms in Italy and invented rose gardens. In the billboard promised land, the highways have come to nothing, have arrived at neither the end nor the beginning. Now, In these, our letters, we are building a marble monument to cover a grave. The days are numbered. We have proven our loss.
2: Thank you all very much. Please do thank our wonderful guests. Thank you. Just before we close, I would like to say, of course, the book is launched tonight. It's exclusively available here and through the Test Centre website and has three editions in addition to its own facsimile reappearance, a wonderful opening essay by Sophie Meyer and two equally wonderful afterwards by Keith and Tony, which add to the uh, experience of the reading. So do please browse the uh, bookstore now and have a drink in memory of Derek. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.